it's the Audacity. Running the film through VCL. Is that like VLC? Yeah, so I can I can run it at one and a half times playback. I will not be having it played at any speed because my phone has been requisitioned for Peppa Pig. Uh-oh. Oh, Peppa Pig this time, not yeah. grandparent communication. Exactly. Peppa Pig. <laughs> love less of that, thank you. Enjoy your precious few months before that becomes a feature of your life. Nope, Sarah has decided this is going to be a Peppa Pig free house. Oh. It's probably best to maintain a complete cordon sanitaire because once it starts it is uh, pretty hard to uproot. To be fair, I have made sure I've got all four series of proper Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> so you're saying that Peppa Pig is akin to like Japanese knotweed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair comparison. <laughs> Biggest problem I've worked out with Thomas the Tank Engine is the episodes are five minutes long of which... About 60 seconds is intro and outro. <laughs> You're going to be loving that. I should have brought up two milkshakes, because that one went down too quick. Yeah, but then you'd have brought all the boys to the yard. I am the only boy, and I was in the yard earlier. Round milkshake brings on the boys to the yard. Damn right. What? 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 All right, White Goodman. <laughs> Fuck you, Chuck Norris. Right, massive change of tack, less, eh? less children's cartoons, or, <laughs> yeah, rather violent American noir thriller, I guess? Although, from the opening music, it kind of sounds like it should be like akin to a slasher-slash-horror film. The IMDb tag is Crime Drama Mystery, which seems about right. episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Have you hit play yet, Dan? I am. I'm at two and a half times speed now, and I'm starting just as the credits stop. I was going to give you a task to look at during the credits, which is to see what order the actors are in. Because I only half noticed this while I was watching it, but I've got a feeling it goes... It gives you four of the names, starting with Stephen Baldwin, and then has additionally some random extras, like the French restaurant invent- investors, and then Benicio Del Toro. So they weren't listening to them in order that they appeared, because... My theory was that it was ranked by Star Power as it existed in 1995. So the random restaurateurs were... Had higher star power than one of the lead actors. We're just going cold open with this episode. I'm more than happy to. <laughs> oh wait, shit! Cue the theme song. Oh no, that's that's long gone. <laughs> so I had a look at Kevin Spacey's filmography, and he had not done very much when this came out. Certainly not feature film wise. Yeah, I was really fascinated by how the careers have diverged since then. Because Kevin Spacey won an Oscar for this, I think. Yeah, he did. But it seemed like the film thought Gabriel Byrne was the biggest star. Yeah. Who's Gabriel Byrne? Keaton. Ah. You can tell that I paid no attention to the credits whatsoever. 
I think the other thing with certainly with Kevin Spacey is this film was oh, a good four or five years before like, American Beauty, which is certainly the first thing I remember him in. How does it relate to K-Pax? Uh, also before it. <laughs> that is not a film that most people consider to be his finest work. Oh, where's Dan gone? No, he's yeah dropped from the call by the look of things. There we go. He's back. From Man of Space. I've just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. Like Paul and I just stonewalled you there. <laughs> <laughs> I expected nothing less. It could have gone on for a while. So is this where we let Paul do the uh, his intro bit and then we let him cut and paste backwards and forwards? <laughs> I'm not cutting and pasting, we're sticking with it. <laughs> so just in case you wonder what you're listening to, this is Season 4, <laughs> Episode 5 of Remedial Nerding. And it is not Star Wars The Night's Old Republic, as we kind of originally said, because we done fuck up last week when we said it was going to be the usual suspects but we've owned the fuck up and we've stuck with it so it is usual suspects this week and we'll do Knights of the Old Republic next week which just gives Dan another week to play which to be fair should be really handy because uh, I might actually get out of that hotel room that I'm stuck in given there's nothing stopping you getting out the door then you're playing the game wrong can you just not find your way out I think I saved to go to dinner and then haven't turned it back on since personally <laughs> I think that's that's my biggest problem <laughs> Sounds more like it. <laughs> Problem exists between sofa and controller. Yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten that Kevin Spacey was in um, Austin Powers. That's the name of the film. Uh, he was in Goldmember, wasn't he? As yeah. Doctor Evil. <laughs> he is credited as famous Doctor Evil. <laughs> so quite like the bit where they're introducing all of the uh, the main protagonists. Uh, but if we mesh play again now. Oh, I never press stop. God damn it. Where they all look like, you know, the guy reaches under the car and they think he's going to get a gun and he's just pulling out a uh, a rag. But that's after the paint mixers just sounded like automatic gunfire. The, the intro for the characters was really good, I thought. It wasn't too laboured. It got to the point quick. Although it also, um, Mark, because the opening sequence of this is these five guys. Is it five guys? Five guys being variously rounded up. Four guys, because um, Verbal's already there. Yeah, that's true. So he's already and that's part of his recanting. Yeah. Well, I tried to watch this with Sarah, but the uh, the jumping timeline confused the fuck out of her. Because it starts off in the present, which is Verbal being interviewed. Then it goes back to last night. Then it goes back to Verbal. Then back to six weeks ago. And it gets very confusing. Yeah, there's a, a frame narrative, which is important that all of this is... Everything we see is recounted by Kevin Spacey, brackets Verbal Kint. Which does raise the question of how we see things that he was not present for, such as all the other characters being individually arrested. But with that, you, it's him telling the story, so it's him telling the story of them being arrested. As it becomes important, you have no idea what he's just making up on the hoof and what actually <laughs> happened. But I like the line-up section. That's where I've just got to. And reading that on Wikipedia, they could, they could not film a take without bursting out laughing, which is why they just left it in. They got to the point where they were just trying to make each other laugh. Yeah. Although if you look at this lineup, which is also the poster image for The Usual Suspects, it does make very obvious something that, to be fair, they point out in the film itself. That is not an identity parade that would ever exist. Yeah. Can you imagine what witness description said, right? It's either a uh, six foot two Latin guy, or maybe a slim Irish restaurateur, or maybe someone who's five foot three and has a pronounced limp. (laughs) (laughs) Or a guy with a a Queen's accent and facial hair. Could be extremely little overlap on any of these guys. (laughs) You got white male, and that's basically it. Oh, we can place you in Queens. Yeah, I live in Queens. <laughs> I did think that was brilliant. I also quite liked 
the fact that you can't tell even well, even at single speed, let alone double speed, you cannot tell what the hell Benito del Toro is saying ninety five percent of the time. He uh, chose that kind of for this characterization on purpose. Yeah, so I'm trying to work out if he was famous before ninety five or if he was that far down the credits list as I thought, or maybe it was a kind of prestige last, like and also starring X. I think that's what agents try and do: try and get your name first, and if you can't get first, have last. I mean, I watched this movie not having never seen it, going into it cold, and then realizing partway through that I thought I knew the spoiler. <laughs> but I didn't know the film the spoiler came from. <laughs> it's one of those that appears on t-shirts and things. Yeah. So at what point did you figure out that you had some free-floating knowledge that actually attached to this film? Um, Kevin Spacey's limp, because the spoiler that I'd seen was, spoiler alert, jumping to the end of the film, the limp turning into a normal walk. It was like, oh, it's this film. I thought it was the film from where they all had the coloured names. Oh, you thought it was I've made dogs. a mistake. I did. <laughs> so, partway through, I realised that, yes, I did know the spoiler for this one. So you weren't um, misdirected by the misdirection then? No, but I can see how it plays brilliantly because it is such a little twist. Yeah, so in the... the premise is you've got these guys who are performing some kind of crimes after having been kind of thrown together in a very improbable police lineup. And then all of this is happening in the frame narrative of Kevin Spacey being interrogated by a detective who's trying to figure out who, if anyone, is the crime lord of the world, Kaiser Soze, <laughs> slash Professor Moriarty. And about an hour in, he comes to the conclusion that it's Gabriel Byrne. And then in the last minute and a half, it turns out it's actually Kevin Spacey. That, that bit I absolutely love. The pan around the back yeah. of the office. That that was such a fantastic reveal. Just about every detail and name he's used for the incidental characters. Are yeah, all I think I nominated this one on the strength of its figuring it out montage. So just having a quick look at Kevin Spacey's Wikipedia entry. Prior to this, it looked like a lot of the stuff he'd done had been um, stage acting. A lot of stuff in Broadway. And it was around about the mid-90s that he made the transition to screen. Hmm. That's where I recognised the fucking captain of the police force from. He's the general. Yeah, the general in um, Alien 4. <laughs> Alien Resurrection. Yeah, yeah. it's Dan Hedaya. It's He's one of those those guys' actors. Agent Coulson was the doctor for the Hungarian guy. Was he? Yeah, it's all in the voice. I think you see his face clearly once. Oh, I'll have to keep an eye out for that when I get to it. And the um, black agent is from... Breaking Bad. He's the chicken guy whose name I can't remember. It's also somewhat confusing that his name appears to be Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah, it is. I was like, is that is that actually his name, or were they just really prescient for Twenty Four here, <laughs> or had Twenty Four to- stolen it from this? That would be a odd decision to do. Is we're going to <laughs> do a a spin-off featuring a character from a beloved film of twenty years ago, except we're going to change the character's backstory and race. <laughs> <laughs> One thing about this is there's there's a lot of talking between the act, between what action there is. But watching it this morning, I would never, if I had to guess the runtime, I wouldn't have put it at two hours. It, it absolutely flew by. Yeah, it's given its runtime's about the same as Blade Runner, it's a lot more filled with stuff. Mm. Yeah, there's several individual arcs that go on. They have mini heists in the process of building mm. up to their big heist. I mean, sorry, I was distracted then because I was reading Stephen Baldwin's IMDb, and it is... Oof, Unsettling. 
<laughs> or unsettling is the wrong word. Um, makes you sad for him, in my opinion. I mean, I've said this before and felt bad about it because he's clearly a working actor. He's got credits. It's like he's got like three credits for 2017, so he's not just lying around the house or anything. Yeah. To be fair, though, in his in his summary bio, it does list Celebrity Big Brother Seven brackets UK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It appears that he, after this he did a couple of director video action films and then put on a lot of weight and started appearing in Christian f- films. His like second most high-profile credit after The Usual Suspects is the Flintstones live-action film. As Barney Rubble. As Barney Rubble, yeah. <laughs> you may be thinking, wasn't that Rick Moranis opposite John Goodman? That's a good. <laughs> that's a good role. No, that was the first film. This is the sequel where they couldn't get any of the cast to come back. <laughs> it's just somewhat overshadowed by his brother Eric Barber <laughs> well still not the worst Baldwin I guess I don't know any of the other Baldwins I was thinking of Adam Baldwin who is not even a series one Baldwin it's actually one of, it's one of the spin-off Baldwins yeah he's um, Baldwin 2 is there a name for the J.J. Um, Abrams version of Star Trek he's one of those <laughs> the reboot yeah you could tell it was the guy that plays Phil Coulson by his eyes oh you and your bromance this crispy fried Hungarian just saying Keza Sose is really creepy did this air in Hungary and if so did they change the Hungarians out for Bulgarians or something it's a good question actually they usually do that if they use some other language they'll replace it with a different different language for that country well yeah I just wonder if the actors on set were just basically telling blue jokes or something when they were meant to be now talking <laughs> Hungarian. <laughs> or if they were saying things like, did you get paid this month yet? Actually, I guess that would also work for cr- Criminal Gang. What's specific to a movie set? Come on, Janus, don't look into camera three. <laughs> <laughs> How's the food here? Is it lunchtime yet? I thought it was quite interesting looking at the um, the budget and box office for this. The budget was only $6 million. It doesn't have a huge amount of effects or anything like that. But maybe it's because the quite big name stars now that might not have been then. Yeah, that's true. I've got to close this IMDb page. It's just causing me to be completely silent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just watching Burble talking, as I'm assuming Dan was as well. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, have we frozen or are we all just reading or watching something? There is just something about Kevin Spacey in this movie. I, I think uh, I'm developing a new like for Kevin Spacey. And to be fair, the only real things I've ever sat and watched Kevin Spacey in is Horrible Bosses, and he plays an absolute shitbag. So, you know. Have you not seen American Beauty? No. You should definitely go watch American Beauty. Yeah, the only other things I know for certain he's in are K-Pax, which I keep mentioning because I like it even though it's not very good, and most people don't like it, and House of Cards, which I've not seen. I've not seen House of Cards either. I watched the first... 30 seconds of House of Cards and when he does the first turn to camera break the fourth wall it's stop <laughs> what else has he been in seven was that a hard eject was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's Netflix so it was TV off <laughs> uh, seven LA Confidential A Bug's Life American Beauty K-Pax Goldmember Superman Returns Fred Claus he was in um, Moon as well yeah Moon The Men Who Stare at Goats Horrible Bosses, Horrible Bosses 2, Elvis versus Nixon. It certainly did start to set up Keaton as being Kaiser Soze. Because it looks like he's the one that draws them all together. Yeah. When you get to some of the other heists and it's you know, that last little idea that he puts in to twist it a little bit. Yeah. He holds out 
on each of these deals only to be badgered into it like less than 24 hours later. But the only thing with that is this whole film is Verbal's account yeah. of it. So is that just him setting it up? Putting that spin on it, the whole idea is he wants everyone to think that Keaton is Kaiser Sose. So you just, you don't know, you still don't know what you can trust or what you can't, even after the reveal yeah. at the end. But uh, when he gets starts talking about the uh, the Englishman representing Kaiser Sose and gives him the name Kobayashi, I'm like, it's not a particularly English name. <laughs> and then Pete Postlethwaite, who is um, extravagantly English, turns up, except he's doing a thick Pakistani accent. Yeah, it, his accent was really fucking strange. It was odd, wasn't it? He was like, it's, is he meant to be English? Well, I don't know. Maybe it was intentional that all the characters seem to have random mix and match name, ethnicity, and accent, because they're all being made up on the spot by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, what Paul referred to earlier, the reveal in the last minute or 30 seconds is... Because the framing device is the interrogation, and at the very end, there's a period where the detective says, I figured it out, Keaton was Kaiser Soze, and here's why. And you start getting flashbacks of Keaton saying things, staring off into the middle distance and saying things like, um, just do what I tell you. And then yeah, he says, all right, all right, Kevin Spacey, you can go. Or Verbal, you can go. Collect your gold watch and... A cigarette lighter that we saw about Kaiser Soze holding earlier mm. from the desk clerk. And then it's pan across the board to reveal all the random names and photos that appeared in the in the story that we were told. Yeah, because they, they kept saying that he wouldn't go in an interrogation room again, so they held it in the chief's office and it's got all these fucking wanted notifications and things all over the back wall. Yeah, like the pin board that's from Spokey, Illinois, and the market that says Kobayashi on the bottom. Yeah, that's the part I thought you, my guys, might have recognised from, I don't know, Family Guy or something, is the figuring it out scene starts with the detective dropping his mug on the floor in super slow motion. Nah. I I might have seen it in something, but having not seen this, I Hmm. wouldn't have known. Do you want a buckshot shampoo chubby? (laughs) That's a good line. (laughs) Well, the guy's just punching the windscreen out of the car. (laughs) The Kevin Spacey's character's sat in the back of the van. Fish that ties over his face, smoking a fag. <laughs> yeah, while they cover the car, cop car in meths. Yeah, I guess a recurring feature of this film is that the um, police are just completely morally compromised, but that it totally ruins their effectiveness as well. It's kind of ironic, though, Keaton taking down the corrupt cops. Oh, yeah, because part of the reason that we can. Part of the setup for the It Was Keaton Who Was Kaiser fake out near the end is that he has a past as a corrupt policeman. Hmm. Yeah. And therefore, all the. Contacts to set up totally bogus lineups and such. Maybe this is a question we should have answered before the theme music so people could turn off if they wanted, but do we recommend this one? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I thought that might be your answer on account of the fact they sent us a text message saying 10 out of 10 earlier. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I did. It It's not dated. The only thing that really dates this movie is the mobile phone that's used in the hospital. Other than that, nothing really dates the movie. It's got some stylistic things to it that look kind of mid-90s to me. I was going to say, all it looks like is a period drama, and that period is <laughs> mid-90s. <laughs> There's a certain X-Files feel to it at times, I thought. I mean, one would hope we're not far enough in history from it to for it to feel oh. culturally weird now. Because <laughs> it came out when we were in secondary school. Barely. Maybe it didn't actually. Maybe it was the summer before. Uh, yeah, it came out January... In fact, August of 1695, so... Yeah, it was the month before we started secondary school. 
I don't really remember hearing about this one before, though. Or at the time, I should say. Yeah, I think I first saw it in 2003 or something. I do, I, yeah, even though I've not seen it, I remember you talking about this a long time ago. Like, probably when you had it on DVD, actually, when we were in sick mm. form. I think I'm going to skip forward to quite a chunk, because there's a lot of... Back to lots of talky about Keaton. Oh, I'll go back a bit there. This is where Kobayashi turns up. Basking Pete Postlethwaite's indecipherable accent. Ah, you mean you skipped the whole Redfoot bit and that heist? Well, the whole Redfoot bit and heist is just annoying because they just fuck it up and there's there's no dope. <laughs> and that's about it. Not to say that it doesn't add to the story, because it does, but... Talking of Redfoot, though, did you read this in the trivia section? Redfoot is this um, fence they get put in contact with and they're that mini heist goes badly wrong. So in the tense confrontation, Redfoot like flicks a cigarette at the assembled people and it hits McManus, Stephen Baldwin, in the face, causing him to dive off screen with a profanity. That is just an accident that happened on set. <laughs> they decided yeah. to keep in the film. It's like, alright, now, for health and safety reasons, please do not aim this at anyone's eyes if you can help it. <laughs> it would be totally awesome, but don't do it. <laughs> One of my, my favourite bits about the... Uh... The Kobayashi meeting is when he reveals that it was the mechanic guy that hijacked the shipment of gun parts that they're all pulled in for to begin with. <laughs> they all look at him and he just goes, eh. <laughs> I mean, they knew someone must have done it, unless the cops have made it all up entirely. But this is the, the reveal that all five of them have stolen something from Kaiser Sose, which is why he's kind of recruited them into this to uh, clear their debt for him and also reveals that, that he's got a dossier on each of them which knows everything like up to and including the number of shits they take a day <laughs> I'm just in- continually fascinated by the trivia section Stephen Baldwin and Kevin Pollock play McManus and um, Hockney who is the mechanic guy you've been talking about and they are constantly butting heads through this film and apparently the two actors are also mortal enemies now <laughs> <laughs> Possibly partly as a result of Stephen Baldwin attempting to stay in character and be a massive cock offset. What the uh, the cops work out in the end is this whole thing's been arranged, they've all been manipulated, because there's someone who knows something about Kaiser Sose on board this boat, and Kaiser's set it all up to have this guy bumped off, and everything else is all uh, an elaborate setup for that. It's just opening the uh, the briefcase on the pool table mm. with all the diagrams and the dossier, so I was half expecting the gold glow to open up out of it from, uh, <laughs> from Pulp Fiction. Oh, I've skipped on to an hour and a quarter. Skipping the discussion of, do we do this? Because oh, one of them dies, doesn't it? It's, uh, is it Finster? Yeah, Benicio Del Toro's character. Which did also lend credence to my vague idea that maybe he was lower down the credits because he wasn't so famous. <laughs> you want to play the character that gets killed off two-thirds of the way through the film? Yeah, I'm not sure how famous he was at the time. The other major feature of this trivia section appears to be that basically they attempted to get Christopher Walken cast into every single role. <laughs> This was about the 10th film that Benicio Del Toro had done, which was actually about the same as Kevin Spacey. Hmm. However, I think the difference was Kevin Spacey had got a good stage presence first, whereas I don't think Del Toro had. I'm closing that whole window now. <laughs> I know I said I was before, but I'm really doing it now. I actually do not remember what I thought was going on the first time I watched it. No, that was the problem of knowing the twist, as I kind of knew what to expect, which is a little bit of a shame. But I think the difference with the twist for this versus... Sixth Sense is this is still a really really good film <laughs> by looking at how he's done it not just what he's done I think Sixth Sense relies on the twist more than this does I still liked Sixth Sense but yeah I don't know what it would have been like seeing it without knowing 
what was going on. This one, yeah, is still a straightforward action film if you completely ignore the premise. I mean, even though I knew the twist, I didn't know any of the, the detail or build up to it. I'd also completely, I don't know if I'd misremembered or other people have misquoted the, the line. Because I was sure I'd heard it say, like saying, I am Kaiser Sose or something like that. But there's none of that at all. Kaiser Sose is one of the names that you hear and just assumes made up. Well, it probably is made up because it's from a film, but what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, but equally, it's another language name, you know, it might sound a bit random. Just sounds like someone's just taken two random words and smushed them together and gone, yeah, that's a good name. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Kobayashi. It just sounds a bit more normal because we're used to Kobayashi Maru. More than likely. <laughs> Unless that is a subtle Star Trek reference in this, in that he's called Kobayashi because it's a no-win situation when they try and double-cross him. <laughs> Do you have anything about that in your trivia section, Nathan? <laughs> Not that you can check now. No, I've closed it. Honest. <laughs> On the rewatch, I only just noticed that when they go to abduct Kobayashi and brutally torture him or whatever it was, the plan was, I didn't notice that all the signs in the building are in Japanese. Yeah, were they? Yeah. I didn't spot that. Yeah, this is meant to be happening in Los Angeles, isn't it? Yeah. I think. Uh, New York to start off with, and then the heist and the interrogation are both in LA. Yeah, I guess by 95 we were slightly past the paranoia that Japan was going to buy everything stage in American culture. I think Die Hard was probably quite late in that cycle as well. <laughs> we're now just all intently watching the start of this heist. Oh, I'm halfway through the heist at the moment. Uh, Nathan's not watching it at all. No. This is the trouble of trying to do films and watch them at the same time <laughs> and do it in order. It's really annoying. This is a really good film, but I'm trying to struggle to think of things to talk about with it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the films that is... You just have to watch it. Oh, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to go forward to the reveal and see if there's anything else I can spot in that. It's a lot shorter than I remembered, the reveal. Because I actually looked at the timestamp because I was running out of time to watch the film. I was like, oh, there's only three minutes left. That's odd. I thought there was loads more. At one point, I did think that they'd given away the identity of Kaiser Sose earlier on in the film movie. Because obviously when he pops Keaton, he holds his gun sideways like a badass. And I was sure I saw someone else holding their pistol sideways, but couldn't for the life of me find it. There is a giveaway before the full reveal, which is, I mentioned briefly earlier, but that may have been confusing, which is that in the like flashback scenes where you see Kaiser Sose in sinister trench coat and face obscuring hat, hmm, killing Keaton. The one thing you do see is that it has a gold watch and has a gold cigarette lighter. Hmm. And then when Verbalgint is released on from the police station, he collects his personal effects and is given a gold watch a and gold, gold cigarette lighter. And then it cuts back up to back up to the detective's office where he starts to piece it together. Yeah, that's just where I've got to. So the detective's just giving him the whole Keaton was Kaiser Sose and Verbal's gone. Yeah, it was all Keaton's idea and broken down and he's now limping off to collect his effects. I'm going to go back to n- real time. Oh, of course, that's the other bit. They get the uh, the e-fit, so the uh, the sketch of the likeness from the crispy fried dude in the hospital. Yeah, but the text has already pieced it together by that point, hasn't he? He doesn't actually see that one. No. Uh, so you don't see the gold watch in, or the lighter, but you hear him, it's one watch, gold, one lighter, gold. Which could be just really generic items, but... Yeah, no. to be fair, that's part of the very final scene because he um, ostentatiously holds them up to camera, basically, after the limp going into normal walk transition. By which point you've already worked it out pretty yeah. much. During one of those pauses, I reopened Chrome because I wanted to check out something I thought I had heard. Roger Ebert 
saw this at uh, Sundance Film Festival in its first screening in 95 and rated it one and a half out of four, do not go and see. Really? Yep. On the grounds it was too confusing and he didn't really care about the answer to the mystery. <laughs> there we go, first moment of realisation. Squint at the pinboard and drop the mug. So it's quite a while from him dropping the mug to actually zooming in on any of the bits. Hmm. There we go, the board is quartet from Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> That was one of the incidental details they threw in earlier was I was in a barbershop quartet in Skokie, Illinois, the manufacturer of the pinboard. Yeah, so as soon as the the reveal starts, it's the natural sound drops out and you've got strings and also clips of audio from earlier in the film. Of which I would estimate about half are relevant. And it sort of layers, doesn't it? It builds into a crescendo and then it, it cuts to the mug and it, as it all dies away. Given that we all already know it, does, is this reveal better or worse than Night of the Old Republic's reveal? Better. Oh, I'm not sure. I can't remember the actual reveal for Knights of the Old Republic. I slightly prefer the Knights of the Old Republic reveal. So we've got a, a yes, no, and maybe answer. Brilliant. <laughs> I think this... Yeah, I think this is probably the second best reveal we're going to have in this series. It is very, very well done. Because even now it's with Verbal walking down the street, you've still got that voiceover with the elements from the rest of the film. And we have the limp turning into normal walk. I mean, that is a very distinctive shot once you know it. So he gets into the car, and it's Pete Postlethwaite driving it. Mr. Kobayashi. Well, I'm assuming that he isn't actually Mr. Kobayashi. Because we saw the name Kobayashi on the bottom of a coffee mug. Exactly, but he obviously is the one that's supposed to be Kobayashi. He, he is an actual person. Yeah, whereas just about everyone else apart from the five could have all been completely made up because all the names were somewhere on the board behind the uh, yeah. detective. I think normally we can pick things out of movies and go, well, you know, let's, we can focus on this because you know, it's a bit hinky or you know, that's a bit more of a tell than it probably should have been and this really doesn't work once you know the spoiler, yada, yada, yada. But I think this one just works. It's just such a well-made film and so brilliantly crafted that even when you know, it is still just an absolutely brilliant film. I suspect it may have a little bit of jokeritis about it, which is that if you imagine the planning meeting where they sat down and came up with the villain's plot, it becomes absurdly complicated. <laughs> but that's more mental energy than I'm prepared to put into critiquing a film, so it doesn't bother me too much. I don't know if I have to explain why I called it jokeritis or not. It seems like you know what I was talking about. Should we talk about the Joker from the uh, the Dark Knight? From the only Batman film I've seen, yeah. <laughs> Plan simple. We killed the Batman. <laughs> Why so serious? And now it's Nathan's turn to do a really bad impression of Heath Ledger being the Joker. I did not even realise that both of your people were to, both of your impressions were of Heath Ledger. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, why can't I quit you? That's in that one, isn't it? Sorry, I've got myself slightly distracted. I'm watching the uh, the reveal from Knights of the Republic on YouTube at the moment. Except, of course, it won't be quite the same reveal because at the critical unmasking, it'll just be some random generated face. We're stealing content from ourselves. <laughs> we are. I think Knights of the Republic does that slightly better. Uh, it could just be because I don't fully remember the reveal. Well, as we've discussed before with that, again, not to steal too much from next week, by the time you get to the reveal in Knights of the Old Republic, you've been playing it for 10 hours. Yeah, I might not get to that point. I might. I've got time away for work, so I'll just have to take the laptop with me. and Either that or we'll text you like the, the critical scenes to YouTube. <laughs> so you can probably <laughs> skip a lot of the slow motion running underwater. That's very true. Is that what we're doing next week? Are we going to try and get back onto schedule? Yeah, I think we'll go for Knights of the Old Republic. We might have to use judicious use of YouTube videos. (laughs) 
slash the Wikipedia plot summary. I'm sure there are loads of people that listen to us that have never played it and will go, what, 10 hours? I haven't got time for that now. Well, the game itself is a good 20 hours of playtime. All right, I'm going to look up speed run code for leaderboard. This looks promising. This is your target, Dan. Including loading time, 1 hour 25 minutes and 58 seconds. You can do that. Wow. It seems like all the speedrunners are going light side. I don't know if that's... Uh, this was only done a month ago, actually. I bet you any money, yeah, they go light side for Force Persuade. Oh, good point. Yeah, no one in the top eight has done it dark side. Anyway, we're really stealing content for next week. <laughs> Let's go back to the usual suspects, and then we can come back to Night City Republic next week. Right, oh yeah. So while Dan is watching the critical drama moments, I may be watching this guy complete it in an hour and a half. <laughs> or an hour 17 minutes if you don't count loading time. Wow. To be fair, I may just have to put that on in the hotel room next week. Did you record it? Yeah, video is available. Oh, brilliant. Let's just watch that when we record next week, then. So your homework for next week, if you haven't played the game... Is to complete it in 78 minutes. So usual suspects. Obviously a stellar performance by Kevin Spacey. I think it was a good performance by all of the actors involved. Yeah, there was no one that was obviously letting the side down. Although, having said that, I'm not surprised that Kevin Spacey and Benicio Del Toro went on to big careers and no one else did to quite the same extent. They were certainly the two of two of the more memorable characters from it. Yeah, to be fair, if Benicio Del, Del Toro hadn't come into work one day and said, I've got an idea, guys, I'm going to be basically incomprehensible, <laughs> it possibly wouldn't have stood out in the memory quite so much. Yeah, I think that's because that's he knew the character was just going to get killed off. It's like, well, mm. that's... Let's make him memorable then, even if you're just going to kill him. I do wonder how much of a hard sell that would have had to have been to the director. Apparently they shot it in a month, so it seems like he might have been wanting to just say, yeah, whatever, let's just, <laughs> we need to get the five scenes in the can today, guys. My favourite editor goes on honeymoon for six weeks, and I need, really need to get this in the pipeline before then, so we've got to be quick. From the trivia section, the guy who played the detective, Chaz Palmenteri, they only had him for a week. Wow. So we're going to do all of his scenes back to back. Because he's not a minor character. Hmm. Could work hard to earn your money that way, haven't you? It all depends on how badly your first take goes. And when a lot of your shoots happen inside an office that you don't move from. Alright, we need to dig some way of wrapping this up, I guess. We do. <laughs> tumbleweed. There's no sound effect for tumbleweed. That was fairly good, though. <laughs> No, that just sounds like you rustling a packet or something. <laughs> well, you two haven't given this marks out of 10 yet. How are we, are we finished with that? So I gave it a 10 out of 10. I'm, I'm going to be up there with you. It's definitely worth a 10 for me. I really enjoyed it and the two hours flew by. I'm going to knock it down to nine on the grounds of no Liam Neeson. <laughs> is, that, is that your grounds for a 10 film? Yeah, that's, Menace that's is 10 a... purely for the inclusion of Liam Neeson. Yeah, that's why there's only two films I've ever given 10 out of 10. The Phantom Menace and Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> so many people are angry with me now. Ah, <laughs> oh, Rage quit the podcast. <laughs> You're a bad, bad man. You're a troll. It's a good thing I'm not on Twitter. I wish the listeners could see Nathan's face right now because he is as pleased as punch with himself. <laughs> He's like the cat that got the cream with that one. Because I'm genuinely not a troll. I'm a, more of a Hufflepuff. But I couldn't resist that one. I'll, I'll give you that one. It's going to let that one slither in. <laughs> That's gross. Oh, God. <laughs> Kaiser Shizzy! What? Kaiser Shizzy! That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.